You've likely heard the reports of a record number of cargo ships off the port of LA waiting to be unloaded, blaming the quote-unquote shortage of drivers, uh, the lack of trained warehouse workers or port workers, and an explosion of e-commerce orders. It's a complicated, nuanced issue that can't be solved simply, which is why today's guest is the perfect person to help break that all down for us. Hello again, Blythe Brumley with DigitalDispatch.io, and our guest today is pretty much the rock star of Ocean Freight. You know, those big-ass cargo ships that you see in the ocean carrying all of our goods? Yeah, he's the expert on that. His name is Steve Ferreira, and he's the host of Navigate B2B. He also has a book out that's on several bestseller lists called Navigating B2B, and he talks to folks from in and around the ocean side of shipping, and the overwhelming majority of all of our goods that we purchase have arrived or end up on a cargo ship at some point during their shipping process. So he's going to help break it all down for us today on what caused these global supply chain issues, if we should be buying our Christmas presents like yesterday, and what's being done to fix it all. Hope y'all enjoy. Because I, I talked in the, the first part of the show about the global supply chain and how it's kind of a mess right now, um, but it always has it always really been a mess, and now we're just noticing it more because the backlogs are continuing to, to, to pile up. So what better way to dive right into this conversation than I'm going to go ahead and bring in Steve Ferreira. He has a long list of experience because he's CEO of Ocean Audit. He's the host of Navigate B2B, and he's the author of the best-selling book, Navigate, Navigating B2B. And as we bring Steve on, I- I'm just going to go ahead and preface this conversation with you know, I, I come from the 3PL asset, non-asset side of things. That's my hit, that's my work history with you know logistics. So forgive me if I sound like I have a little bit of a an elementary education when it comes to the global supply chain. But I also feel like there's a lot of other people out there that are just like me that are kind of wondering what the hell is going on. So let's go ahead and bring on Steve. And so he can maybe help break this all down for us. Welcome in, Steve. And what in the world is going on with global shipping? Well, Blythe, uh, thank you so much for having me on today. And I just wanted to give you a positive affirmation so you have good thoughts for the rest of this segment. Uh, Jags win Super Bowl 2024. How's that? Oh, thank God. We need it. We need it bad. <laughs> it's been a rough week for Jaguar fans. I think that's why I started the show off a little grumpy. <laughs> Uh, amen, amen. And, um, and by the way, I just want to say to to the uh, to your audience out there and to everyone uh, maybe new to Blythe's show is uh, Blythe, you just do such a great job uh, broadcasting. Uh, you've been a real mentor to me and uh, you know Freight Waves and the global audience that's uh, uh, watching your show is really lucky to have you. So a uh, job well done. Thank you. Um, it, it, yeah, I love your show very much, and uh, Cyberly is just a great concept. You know the global supply chain is uh, is really you know broken. I use the concept all the time. Uh, I have a four or five point niche strategy that a lot of my clients and and uh, uh, beneficial cargo owners uh, ask me about in terms of Steve, what should we do now? And uh, one of the central points of my uh, concepts is that you know what's the point of defusing a nuclear bomb once it's already gone off? I think the problems uh, in the in the global supply chain. Uh, run silent, run deep, and I actually termed termed the, uh, the I coined the term container geddon Blythe because I do think that container geddon gives a real good in, good input to your viewers in terms of what uh, retailers and consumers are going through. It's a uh, it's uh, ugly times ugly, and uh, we're in somewhat of a panic mode. And whatever you hear in the media about 
buying early for Christmas, uh, take heed. Uh, that's not fake news. Well, I, I'm glad that you brought up that phrase container get in. Can, can for folks who don't necessarily know what, what's going on from, I guess, the, the supply shortages from the containers themselves to, to how, I guess, you know, other companies are even contracting out. I saw a, a picture of Amazon. They, they just got done painting and, and shipping over all of their brand new containers in order to help with their shipping of, of their own goods. So, so tell us a little bit about, I guess, the origins of container get in and, and how it's affecting us all now. You know, I, I think that the, the uh, this issue has a, a, a lot of different roots to it. Um, some some th- some people could even suspect or think that the issue of container getting goes back to the um, tenets of the Trump administration when uh, President Trump had invoked twenty five percent tariffs on Chinese merchandise, and that in essence, triggered a wave of influx of containers to come in to try to beat the clock, so to speak. And then we uh, ran, you know, months and months through uh, fast forward, and then we we come into the global pandemic, where most prognosticators are thinking, okay, global shipping shuts down. Um, And what happened on the other hand is the complete opposite happened. Consumers stopped, obviously, buying services or going on cruises or joining health clubs. And what do they do? They stayed home and they bought TV wall mounts. They bought uh, um, uh, remodeling kitchens. They bought appliances. And the appliances, it's really interesting what, this, what the tale or story on washes, dryers, and, and dishwashers. They were the early tenants of where we saw this container getting going, uh, what direction we saw this going. Because those are some of the first commodities that we started to see impacted by the uh incredible consumer demand and moving into the the goods uh, equation. Now on the other hand, one of the things that the ocean vendors, you know, you got you got to understand one thing about ocean freight is 2 years ago, uh, ocean freight to the west coast might have been $1000 a container. Uh, now after container getting iterations, it's t- you know, could be somewhere from 7 to 8 to 10 to $12,000 a container. So mm-hmm. one of the problems is is that the lower valued items have certainly had to absorb a higher ocean freight percentage. And at the same time, inventories are extremely low of the right products, but in the warehouses, the warehouses are extremely full. Bottom line is that we have nowhere to put these goods. Plus we have a ocean freight, um, ocean freight vessel operating carrier community like Murrisk or Hapag Lloyd or any of the NVOCCs like uh, DHL or FedEx or Schenker, we have them doing a great job, ma- mainly on the the, air, the ocean carrier side, controlling the capacity on what type of cargo sales, uh, the vessel quantities that go on it. And so they've done a great job with their algorithms, um, actually blanking sailings into your readership or viewership. Blank sailings mean, means when a sailing is scheduled, but then it gets canceled. And it gets canceled in a way to artificially constrain supply and demand and therefore, ergo, keep the ocean rates higher. So we're experiencing um, highest rates we've ever seen, shortages and panic buying on the part of importers and uh, an uncertain consumer demand that may wane as we, you know, depending on where we are and what experts think uh, container getting might be doing in terms of plateauing. And and you bring up the the I guess the the question that I have as far as like what 
how do these ocean carriers, how do they determine what goes on a ship and what doesn't? Because you got companies like Home Depot that are out here essentially securing their own container ships in order to guarantee that their freight can be moved. How does that process even start to where it, it, it almost sounds like maybe their their freight was being deprioritized. And so in order to guarantee that their freight can move on a reasonable schedule, mm. that companies like Home Depot, companies like Amazon, they're out there now securing their own containers, their own container ships. How does that process even get started that a retailer says, hey, I, I think I'll go buy a container ship today? Well, Blythe, I think what uh, the story is here is that the ocean freight industry is is quite an old industry. I've been involved in it since uh, 1982, and I could count on you know one and a half uh, hands <laughs> the type of innovations that have really come into play in the last 20 years. And I think that one of the problems is ocean contracts. Uh, typically, um, you know, uh, a retailer would contract with a, a vendor like Hapag or Maersk or Hyundai or Hapag Lloyd for a thousand containers at X amount of dollars. And uh, the supply chain could move those. There were no snafus at the port. There was ship capacity. So you didn't see much controversy in terms of uh, uh, contracts being enforced if the client went over a little bit or under. Um, now, now it's very difficult that the um, you know the importer many importers think the contracts are not worth the paper they're written on because a, a client may have contract uh, an importer may have contracted for a container uh, rate of uh, three thousand but the ocean vendor is saying oh sorry if you want to get on our ship you've got to pay eight thousand because uh, they can prioritize and get better paying cargo so I think the issues with um, you brought up a really good issue uh, it, uh, interesting issue before Amazon. Uh, Amazon has actually built uh, some of their 53-foot equipment in China. Walmart's built it, Schneider, uh, J.B. Hunt. And a lot of these uh, um, 53-foot containers are actually coming back over, uh, new from the factories in China, on one-way container leases back to the U.S. on these multi-purpose uh, vessel charters that you hear uh, the media speaking about that Amazon, that, uh, excuse me, that uh, Walmart or Home Depot or some other retailers are utilizing but it's been a uh, it's an industry that's very much in need of rehabilitation when it comes to contracting, acting between uh, uh, an Amazon and a Maersk or an Amazon and a Hapag Lloyd. Uh, they typically have not been up to this point very enforceable, Blythe. Hmm. And and so I think that that you know obviously there are things in in play that a lot of these retailers can't control. But what about on on the flip side with some of the smaller retailers? Do they even stand a chance with with you know guaranteed freight before the holidays come up? Is that an, an option still for them? Or are they just kind of left in limbo? You know, it's uh, one of the biggest uh, behind the scenes uh, story that I follow is how the big guys, uh, the big guys, Amazon or Target, Walmart, the big ten retailers, uh, they're doing. You know, they're not paying necessarily. The rates that you read in the media, the media, the media puts out a rate that the the spot rate or the market rate is ten thousand dollars. There's no way that Amazon or Walmart's paying that. However, the smaller mm-hmm. importer, the SME guy or, or gal or company, is paying that. And so, one of the problems is that the value of the goods has to be able to absorb these exorbitant ocean rates. If you're bringing in a container uh, of um, nail clippers or uh, a value items that cannot support a ocean freight rate of 10,000 without increasing the 
ca- uh, price at the cash register for the consumer. So mm. small and medium-sized importers that have low-valued items have to uh, have to always have a uh, backdoor strategy of sourcing the items domestically or perhaps nearshoring in Mexico or Honduras. They have to do some other niche things to get their cost structure normalized. Hmm. And so I, I guess it's just it's it's just going to be something that we're going to have to deal with for a while. It, it sounds like I mean I think there was a CNBC tweet that I had here that said on time arrival for cargo ships is normally this in the seventy percent range, but in recent weeks only ten percent of ships are on time. Does that kind of go back to to what you were saying about you know the 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 ocean carriers can flip the script on who they accept as far as who's willing to pay that large bill? Is that the reason why they're not as on time as they used to be? I think the way to look at it is that uh, going back a year or two ago, not even a, not even two, but if you were planning a movement from your factory in in China to uh, Chicago, you you might have planned in uh, six weeks or five and a half to six weeks from factory uh, production to getting the container on board to to delivery. Uh, so let's say um, let's say basically five weeks or six weeks now. You have to look at it as double because of the lack of containers, because of the fact that um, the China China production, the, the factory floors are filled. There's no way to put the goods in containers because of the, the problems in the factories in China having full warehouse floors and no space to put containers. So it's a um, I hope that being on your show today, I'm able to show your, your viewers and listeners that. It's not just a once it one size fits all problem. The problem mm. is as niche as as the the item itself. So, for example, uh, furniture guys and gals, furniture importers have a completely different um, problem than say uh, Amazon does uh, with their uh, incredible buying power and NVOCC activity that they actually own their own NVOCC. So it's a it's a real mixed bag out there, Blythe. I feel like I could talk to you for hours about this, but I, I, I want to, with the, you know, the, the, the time that we have left, I want to definitely make sure that I hit on your book because getting to your book, Navigating B2B, you released it earlier this year and you've seen some real success with it so far, which is fascinating to watch just from, you know, sort of the sidelines. Take me to the moment where you saw it in Times Square for the first time. What, what was that feeling like? <laughs> Oh boy, uh, uh, that's uh, interesting. You put that up. It was uh, it's really surreal, and um, you know uh, the book did hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestselling list and number eighty one in all of the uh, United States on USA Today. Incredible numbers uh, for a, a first time author. But I think for me, it was the fact that I, I realized that um, in my industry, in my space, logistics, supply chain, and mainly ocean freight, that. Uh, in freight waves, of course, I have my own show, and in LinkedIn, it turns out that there are only 10, 15 regular people that are in my industry that post regularly. And I thought to myself, mm. you know, this is just a great crown glory for me, crown jewel, so to speak, to have my book and to hopefully by my peers and clients be looked at as you know one of the the leading experts in the world on the subject. So it was a great experience, and I appreciate you bringing it up. 
I mean, absolutely, because I've written a book before and I hated the whole process. It was such a mental drain, but I was also competing in the football world where it was as soon as it was done, I was done with the book in general. But for you, like this is, is, is something like you said that, you know, you have the opportunity to be a big fish in a small barrel and, and being able to, to put yourself in a position that uh, you're the expert when it comes to ocean shipping, which is why we had you on today's show. And, and you, you speak very eloquently about all of the, the nuance that's going on and, 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 does that book, does it help bring in the masses as far as global supply chain? Or is it more niche based towards, you know, uh, it, people who are already in the industry that want to learn a little bit more? You know, I think twofold, right? I think that one of the things about the book is to me, it, it replaces, uh, so wherever I go now, it replaces, you know, my business card. And I just say, well, you know, here's my, my book. It's a big nice. deal <laughs> because it does stimulate conversation book is really geared towards the fact that there are so many what I call mavericks in logistics supply chain, B2B. It doesn't have to be necessarily ocean. It can be entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, a budding, a budding uh, uh, entrepreneur. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to help bring those folks mainstream because I know how hard it is to bootstrap and start something from zero, which I did at Ocean Audit. I was told many times that my concept would never fly. There were no errors in ocean freight. So I I wanted to bring through navigating B2B uh, personal stories uh, and uh, uh, practical advice to all budding entrepreneurs that may be on the fence about starting their own firm. Well, well, that is... so. I love that you're you're you have a very clear vision because I, I was checking out your website and it's beautifully designed. And I don't say that about a lot of websites, but it's very clear that you have a target audience in mind with both the book and the website presence, where you have two sort of very clear CTAs to to, to target that audience. How are you? I guess navigating is is a good word to use here. How are you navigating those waters between the book and the website? And now with with your show that you've been with Freightways for about a year now you have one of the more you know the, the more fascinating shows on their platform how are you balancing all of the content that you're now creating and towards your target audience the content is amazing i have people um, on linkedin that are always saying hey steve you know your graphics you're up you upped your game you've upped your game you've upped your game and i think that uh you know, I'm in a smaller industry in the sense that what I do with Ocean Audit you know, Refund Recovery, it's very niche oriented. And I think there's only say, and I, and I use the number loosely, but let's say there's only 25,000 companies in, in America that really could utilize other, other right target audience for my business. Um, it is a, a, a challenge, right? The cost to find those exact precise people. You don't want to waste or blow your chance. So I think that's why I seg- segmented the website, you know, so that you have uh, strong logistics and supply chain gurus that could, can come in in one portal. And then you have strong finance and CFOs and C-levels that can come in another portal because those guys want to save and the, and the logistics folks want a way to make sure that they're on their A-game and not letting any errors go through. Because in Container Geddon, Remember what we talked about earlier, just a year or two ago, prices uh, were $1,000 a container, and now they're $10,000. So a small error today on a $10,000 container could yield a recovery as much as as, as, uh, $1,000 or $2,000. So I think that uh, you have to really segment the market, and that's the whole purpose between the 
the dual duality of the website and then the real niche marketing uh, within my FreightWaves shows and within LinkedIn. I love it. I mean, clearly, you know exactly what you're doing, and, and it's evident in, in the work that, that you've been putting out and the accolades that you've been receiving. All right, Steve, where can people follow more of your work, buy the book, do all of those good things? Uh, sure. Thanks, Blythe. Well, the best way is always, uh, I'm, uh, I'm always on uh, uh, LinkedIn 24-7, Steve Ferreira, uh, Ocean Audit. You can find me every Tuesday on Navigate B2B and, of course, OceanAudit.com. Uh, books on Amazon and BNN and anywhere where uh, excellent books are sold. So um, that's it. Thank you so much for having me today. I appreciate you coming on and we'll put all the links in the show description and in the show notes so people can find it very easily. Thank, thank you, Steve, for coming on the show. We'll have to do this again when we have more time to really dive into the nuances of it, because I, I think that you know more people need to be made aware outside of the industry rather than in. Only if you come on my show, Blythe. I, done. <laughs> Sign, seal, delivered. <laughs> Thank you for your time. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. If you like what you heard, consider sharing it with a friend. Podcast discoverability is a bit of a challenge for creators like myself, so word of mouth goes a long way. You can check out past episodes of the show by hitting up the learn page on digitaldispatch.io. I also have some free courses on the site that cover content marketing, distribution, and even how to audit your own website. That's going to come in handy as everyone starts to prepare for those 2022 budgets. While you're there, you can also check out our socials, the DIY shop, or custom services. Until next time, I'm Blythe Brumley, and I will see you real soon.